Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, yeah, my name's Philippa. If we haven't met before, I'm a curate here at St. Paul Shadwell. Um, you can ask me afterwards what that means if you don't know. Uh, my husband, Simon, and I, have we been at this church for 12 years now. Uh, we got married here. We had our babies baptized here. Uh, we're homegrown at SPS. And we love it. We love being here. Um, and it's great to be here with you again this morning and to be continuing on with our series through the first half of Acts. And if, you, if this is your first time here this morning or you've missed a few weeks and you're uh, not sure where we're at, let me remind you. We've been working our way through the first half of Acts, right, right from Jesus's ascension. Uh, after he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven. Um, and we've been working through all the different stories of all the unfoldings of what been, what's been happening uh, through the apostles. And really what this book of Acts is. Uh, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. And that really is what it is. You, you know, rem- remember right back at the beginning, Jesus's followers, they gathered together in the upper room. Jesus has commanded them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And they say this to Jesus. Uh, they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus has called them to wait on the Spirit and to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and all the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happens. They receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they begin to share the good news and travel about sharing the good news. And the Acts of the Apostles that we're working through is a collection of stories of what the Apostles did after they were filled with the Spirit at Pentecost. Isn't it hot? (laughs) More Lord. Um, I'm boiling. Uh, so the, to- the context of where we've been, all of these things that have been happening over these, coming, uh, these past few weeks, which we've been exploring together, uh, we've seen and heard about healings. The apostles have been in and out of prison. They've suffered through times of persecution, including martyring, you know, St. Stephen was martyred, and through times of peace and prosperity as well, where the gospel has spread and many have come to know and to follow Jesus. They've experienced the spreading of the good news and the establishing, wherever they go, of new worshipping communities and many people coming to put their trust in Jesus, wherever they go. You know, so many of the stories are something incredible happening and everyone who witnesses it turning to Jesus. It's an incredible collection of stories that we've been through. And let me encourage you, a little plug for our YouTube channel. Uh, If you've missed any in the series of what we've been going through, you can go back and check them all out. They're all on our YouTube channel. Um, And I'd recommend you doing that because it's been an incredible series. You know, we get the privilege of journeying week by week with the apostles, of unpicking and unfolding what it is that they were up to um, and journeying with them. And as we've been going along, we've been working to kind of spot the fruit of the Spirit as we go. You know, we know that the apostles waited on the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit and then they were empowered and sent out to go and do the things that God was calling them to do. 
And the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, bubbling up inside them and coming out in all of these incredible ways that we read these stories. Sometimes throughout their series, it's been easier for us to pull out a particular fruit. You know, we've spoken about patience, we've spoken about faithfulness, we've spoken about peace. It's been easiest for us to do that in some stories. Some of them we've just kind of looked more generally and seen the way the Spirit has moved. The point of doing this, the point of trying our best to spot where the fruit of the Spirit is bubbling up, is that it's not an exercise where we're trying to shoehorn one theological concept into another. But really what it's doing is helping us to remember that when we hear these stories of the apostles in the New Testament, when we hear all about the incredible things that went on, it can be very easy for us to read those stories and think, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not raising people from the dead. I'm not breaking out of prison by singing miraculous songs. What's going on? Well, the Acts of the Apostles... They're not designed to be a checklist and not designed for us to think about all the things that we must do to get ourselves into heaven or to make ourselves proper Christians. No, the Acts of the Apostles, the stories that we read are examples of what we can expect it to look like when we become people who wait on the Spirit and live our lives in Him. Every one of us, when we come together like this, you know, throughout the week as we pray, We can be people who wait on the Spirit, people who live in the Spirit, who live lives in the Spirit. And as a result, we can expect to begin to see these incredible things taking place. And today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 9. Gareth started us off last week. um, And we're going to be looking at a couple of different stories of Peter. And we're going to, I'm going to kind of, this is a Bible study this morning, okay? So I'm going to kind of go through the stories We're going to talk through them. We're going to talk a little bit about the context of them and what's going on in them. And then uh, we're going to think a bit about Peter and his character. Um, Because I'm I'm fascinated by Peter and the way that he kind of has drawn everything together that we see in this story. So why don't we read the Bible together? We're going to read from Acts chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. 
So this is an incredible couple of stories. We find ourselves in Lydda. Lydda is a little town which is about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. I'm told that's where the airport is now. Fun facts. Uh, Peter is on his way. He's traveling to visit the people there in Lydda. Um, It's probably a church that was uh, potentially started by Philip. Um, When he was in the area, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, Michael Trainer spoke to us about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, This potentially was a community, a church started by Philip. And Peter is on his way to go and visit them. Uh, It's not Ofsted. They haven't done anything particularly controversial or wrong, but just remember that there's no Bible at the time. And so the apostles are moving about, checking in on the different communities that have just started to bubble up, these brand new faith communities, just working out what they're doing and just trying to figure out what's happening. So Peter is visiting. He's checking in on how the church is going. And whilst he's there, he comes across a man who is paralysed and who's been bedridden for eight years. And this is the simplest story in one sense. It's just three verses. The man's paralysed. He's been bedridden for eight years. Peter speaks in the name of Jesus and the man walks. And this is so Luke. If you don't know, Luke uh, wrote Acts as well. And this is so Luke. Luke was a doctor. And so Luke doesn't mess about giving us any extra information that we might have wanted. Luke just says, he's paralyzed, bedridden eight years, healed, done. Incredible. What a matter of fact way uh, of saying it. But we don't really know anything else about the man. We don't know whether he was Jew or Gentile. We don't know anything about him. Uh, We just know the important piece of information that Luke wants to tell us, which is that it's been eight years. This man has been bedridden for eight years years. And what Luke's trying to remind us of is that this is an incredible miracle. This is the kind of thing that only God could do because this man has been suffering, unable to move for eight years and God moves and heals him. And this story really reminds me of that story in Luke 5, where Jesus heals the man lowered through the roof. Do you remember that story? Those of you who grew up in Sunday school, it's a classic. Um, The people are packed into a house and Jesus is preaching and praying for people and and people are being healed. And some friends want to bring uh, their friend to be healed as well. And he is also a man who has been paralysed. And they bring him and they can't get him into the house. They're kind of trying to edge their way in, but they can't get him in because it's so packed in. And so they climb up onto the roof of the house and they remove the tiles of the roof and they lower the man down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to them, says to him, I say to you, get up, take your bed and go home. And then in this story, it's Peter who says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and roll up your mat. And, but the impact of this story, it tells us in the reading we've just read, it says all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Everyone around saw this incredible miracle take place. They would have known this guy. They would have known that he'd been paralyzed for a long time. And they see what God has done and they turn to the Lord. The guy's been laying in his bed for eight years and now he's healed in the name of Jesus. Of course, they all believe. 
And what gets me is the authority of Peter in this moment. The clarity, maybe it's just the way Luke explains it, but the clarity with which he acted. You know, he just says, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed, get up and go, roll up your mat. How do you think Peter felt in this moment? We don't, it doesn't say, we don't know. But I wonder whether throughout both of these stories, I'm kind of torn about how I think Peter might have felt. Part of me feels like he might have been faking it till he could make it. You know what I mean? Like, he might have been like, okay, I saw Jesus do this. Let me just think back. How did Jesus do it? Okay, I'll just say those exact words and then it'll be fine. Um, uh, some of you will know that I'm uh, recently ordained. And uh, part of what I uh, have to do as, part, as being a curate, as being an ordained, uh, newly ordained person, is go to um, these uh, post-ordination training classes. And um, before I was priested, before I was able to uh, preside over communion, they, uh, I had to go to a session where we were talking about how to do that and all the practicalities of how to do the bread and the wine and all the rest of it. Um, and I was given this advice. Do as your incumbent does. Now, my uh, incumbent is Phil, those of you who don't know. Um, he's the one who's in charge of my training here. Do exactly as your incumbent does. That's what, that was their advice. So we're standing there trying to figure out how to do all this thing, but obviously we all come from lots of different tra- traditions in the class. So do exactly as your incumbent does. And as Phil will tell you, I obviously do exactly as my incumbent does. Um, but I feel like maybe that's a little bit what Peter is doing here. He's like, I'll just do exactly what Jesus did and hopefully it'll work for the best. And an amazing miracle happens. The authority of Peter in this moment. I love it. So then word has spread that Peter is local. He's in, he's in Lydda. And some people locally call him to come and help with the situation. And this is when we meet the character of Tabitha. And it says about Tabitha that she was always doing good. She was always helping the poor. Uh, They use the word disciple to describe Tabitha. She was obviously an important part of the church community. She was obviously a person who, uh, who really had an impact on the community around them and worked hard to be part of the church. It's difficult for a church community to lose somebody like that. Her friends, when, when they come, when uh, Peter comes, her friends start to show him the clothes that she's made and they start to talk about how wonderful she was. Now, I'm sure we can all relate to that when we've had people close to us who've died. We kind of, we don't know what to do and we sort of, we hold on to their possessions and we talk about the things that we loved about them and the things that were great about them. And it says that her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. And that's what was, that was what was customary. They were, they were about to bury her. And there must have been a moment at some point where they're washing the body and anointing it with oil and wrapping it up, putting it in the upstairs room. There must have been a moment where somebody said, should we call Peter? Should we just, what have we got to lose? Should we just call Peter and see what could happen? I wonder who it was who suggested that. But that's what they do. They decide, you know, we've got nothing to lose here. Our friend has died. We're distraught. 
We thought that God was going to use her to do incredible things in our church community. Let's call Peter and see what happens. They must have heard stories of people being raised from the dead. And in the way that this is written, Luke's leaving us a big hint here that something miraculous is about to happen when, the, when he's talking about the preparation of the body. You know, there's, kind of, there's precedent for this throughout scripture. In 1 Kings, Elijah raises the son of the widow of Zarephath and, um, and it talks about the body being prepared and then, incredib- and, and then amazingly, he is resurrected. And then again in 2 Kings, Elisha does the same thing. And then in Luke 7, Jesus raises a widow's son at Nain. And then Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. You know, there's precedent for this. Can we just stop for a moment and realise and recognise that we are part of a faith that talks about raising people from the dead as if that's a normal thing? You know, we, we are part of a faith that is all about resurrection, that's all about taking things that are dead, taking things that are dirty, taking things that are dark and bringing them into life and cleanliness and hope and light. And we just tell these stories as if they're normal stories. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead himself. And now we hear this incredible story of Peter trying out the same thing and this story um, reminds me in particular of the story of the raising of Jairus's daughter Um, it says this when he arrived this is Jesus when he arrived at the house of Jairus he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter John and James so Peter was there and the children's father the child's father and mother meanwhile all the people were wailing and mourning for her stop wailing Jesus said she's not dead but asleep They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And it's just so clear, like I was saying before, it's so clear in this moment that Peter was was there for that moment, for Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. And it's so clear that in this moment where he's being asked to do the same, he thinks, what did Jesus do? Okay, I'm going to do the same thing. So he comes into the room, he sends everyone else out, and I would have done the same thing. Let's see if we can work this out without everyone else watching. So he sends everyone else out, which is what Jesus did. And he got down on his knees and he prayed. And I'm willing to bet that was a pretty, pretty desperate prayer. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just reading into it, but I know if I'm being asked to go into a room and raise somebody from the dead for the first time, my prayer is going to be pretty desperate. So he gets down on his knees and he prays to Jesus. And then he says, Tabitha, get up. He uses the, it's so interesting because he uses the, almost the exact words that Jesus uses. Jesus said to the little girl, Jairus' daughter, Talitha, which means little girl, Talitha, kumi, get up. And here, Peter says, Tabitha, kumi, get up. It's incredible that Peter has learned exactly from Jesus what it is that he needs to do. And just like Jesus did, he takes Tabitha by the hand and he raises her up and she stands up. So for the second time, Peter tells someone to do something which is totally out of the question. 
It's impossible to tell a paralysed person to pick up their mat and walk. It's impossible to tell a dead person to get up and go. But we live in a faith where that's what happens. These are stories, like I was saying before, these are stories that we kind of take for granted. They're stories that we teach our kids in Sunday school, for goodness sake. Both times it says that people saw these miracles. The people around saw these miracles and many believed. There is a greater miracle being done, even greater than healing someone who's been paralysed, even greater than raising someone from the dead. The greater miracle that's being done is that many are turning from death to life, turning from a life before to a life after of following Christ. What an incredible outpouring of miracles through Peter. And as we sort of finish up, Let's just think about Peter together for a minute. I don't know if you know much about Peter, but he's well known in scripture, especially throughout the gospels, for being this kind of scatty, impulsive character. He often questions things. He often thinks he knows what he's talking about when he doesn't. And he often does things that are pretty impulsive and he kind of regrets later. I don't know if you can... Uh, empathize with him perhaps I can for sure Peter is the one who when Jesus walked on the water and called him out of the boat he walked for a few steps on the waves and then lost his faith and started to sink that's Peter Peter was the one who when Jesus wanted to wash his disciples feet said no Lord you'll never wash my feet as if he knew what was going on better than Jesus did Peter is the one who cuts off the ear of a servant of the high priest when they come to arrest Jesus. Peter is the one who denies Jesus after he's, when he's going to the cross. And Peter is the one, which is my favourite Peter story, Peter is the one who, after Jesus has died and he feels like he's lost all hope, goes out fishing with his friends turns around and sees Jesus on the shore and then puts on his coat and jumps into the water. That's Peter. That's who Peter was. That's who Peter is. That's how he conducted himself. This kind of scatty guy who doesn't really know what's going on, who loves Jesus and wants to follow him, but is constantly getting it wrong. I often feel like that. Have you ever looked back at your, your old posts on Facebook? Have you ever done that? Oh, it's soul-destroying. Don't ever do it. Look back at your posts from when you first got Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but it, it particularly pertains to Facebook, I feel. Um, and I don't know about you. Maybe it was just me, but I don't think it was. It's like every little thought that entered my head had to go on Facebook at that time. Every, like, and... Uh, statuses pop up from 13, 14 years ago. Like, why did I feel like the whole world needed to know this? It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. And I think that's true for all of us. We look back on our lives and we think about the ways that we've conducted ourselves, the ways that things have happened to us, the ways that the stupid little things that we said that we wish we hadn't said. 
you know, or we get those moments literally in the middle of the night where you sit up like, <gasps> and you remember like when you wave to someone and you thought they were waving to you and then actually they were waving to the person behind you. You know that? These moments of like looking back on what we once were and finding that so embarrassing. And I wonder whether actually that's a helpful exercise for us. We can look back at Peter and see all of these ridiculous things that he did. And then we can look at Acts and see all of these incredible things that he did in the authority of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder whether God is doing the same thing with us. I wonder whether God is taking all of those stupid things that we have done and using them to teach us and hone us and train us to become people who are more like him. People who are more likely to go into rooms and think about what Jesus had said and do the same. Peter's come a long way from that impulsive guy who was telling Jesus what he thought should happen all the time. And I think one of the fruits of the Spirit that we can see here in Peter is patience. Jesus was incredibly patient with Peter. And I feel like Peter has been incredibly patient with himself as well. As he's waited on the Spirit, as the Spirit has worked in him, he continues to work and to move in the authority that the Holy Spirit has given him. Despite the fact that he's got it wrong a hundred times, he still steps forward to try it again. I don't know if I would have the courage of Peter to go into a room and kneel down and pray for someone to be brought back to life. But Peter moves in the courage that the Holy Spirit has given him because he's been patient. He's been patient as he's waited on the Spirit, waited on the Spirit to continue to mould him and shape him and grow him into a person who might do something like that. I wonder if you're waiting for God to do something in you, whatever it might be. I wonder if for each of us, with each stupid mistake that we make, he's growing us into the people that he wants us to be. He's bringing us into completion. It says, Paul says this in Philippians, uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The message of all of that is that we don't have to put up with our flaws. We don't have to put up with the thing that we constantly struggle with. We don't have to put up with the fact that we're constantly putting our foot in it. We're constantly getting it wrong, constantly embarrassing ourselves, constantly not doing the thing that we know we should be doing. But God is moving us forward all the time. Jesus is bringing us into completion. The Holy Spirit is filling us that we might grow, not just in patience, but in love and joy and peace and kindness. The Holy Spirit is doing that in us as we wait on him. And he's preparing us and enabling us to be people who are witnesses of him. People who might move in the authority that he's given us to speak healing to people, to speak hope to people, to speak light into people's lives. The Holy Spirit is doing that. So don't lose heart. You know, we don't have to put up with the things that irritate us about ourselves, the thing that embarrasses us about ourselves. We don't have to put up with that because the Holy Spirit is changing us and growing us, just like we see with Peter. We don't just have to put up with our flaws. 
maybe the band want to come and join me and I want to finish with one story. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the pub. And um, this is an example of how the Lord has, has grown me. Uh, I was in the pub and I, um, I saw a person in the pub who I didn't know, but who uh, I felt the Lord prompting me to speak to. And I've, that's, I've felt that lots of times. And I'm willing to stand here and admit to you that probably nine times out of ten, I'm like, no, no, not today, Jesus. I've got somewhere to be. I've got your work to do. Um, but this time, I don't know whether it was a particularly strong prompting or whether um, it was just I felt obedient that day. I don't know. Um, but I did approach this person um, to chat to them. And the reason why I approached them is because uh, I noticed they had a, a baby with them. And um, some of you might know that I run a, a, a group here on a Friday morning for um, parents with their little babies. And I just felt really prompted to invite her to come. I just really wanted her to come. I'd never seen her before, don't know who she is, just thought, I'll just let her know. So I'd sort of dithered about, like, awkwardly for a bit. And then I thought, if I don't say something to her now, she's going to think I'm trying to rob her. So I need to actually talk to her now. So I did. Um, and I sort of just said to her, oh, like, there's a really, I didn't say I run a really great baby group. I said, there's just this really great baby group I wanted to let you know about. And I added her to the WhatsApp group. And anyway, she came. Um, and uh, that really encouraged me. And she came through the doors and um, she's got a little baby. And she said, you know, um, this is the first time I've been out of my house with the baby on my own. And I'm really grateful to be here. And she's been coming along. Um, and I just wanted to encourage you with that story because I wanted you to know that in probably in any other circumstances, I might not have bothered or I might have felt too embarrassed. But the Lord continues to work on me. He hasn't given up on me despite the fact that nine times out of ten I don't obey him when he asks me to do things like that. And I think that's true of all of us. The Holy Spirit is so gentle and is working on each one of us to create in us this person who boldly speaks the name of Jesus in our communities, who boldly invites people to come and be part of the family that we're creating here. And we all get it wrong all the time. But just like Peter, my hope and my prayer is that as we wait on the Spirit, we might become people who witness to him in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and, and the ends of the earth. You know, we're the ends of the earth being witnesses today. So why don't we stand together? I'm going to pray for us.